Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hi, welcome to today's show. Today we're having a chat with Brooke Miller. She is the VP of Sales and Marketing at BP Australia, leading the company's retail business in a highly competitive fuels market. Brooke is focused on delivering a high-quality, differentiated offer at 1,400 BP-branded sites and successful partnerships with some of Australia's largest commercial customers. Prior to being appointed to this role, Brooke was BP's CFO of Fuels for Australia Pacific, where she brought focus and rigour to the financial performance and strategy of the business during a time of significant change. Brooke first joined BP after receiving an MBA from Melbourne Business School, and she's held roles at BP, including GM of Customer Solutions, Regional Director for BP Solar Australasia, GM of BP Bitumen Australia. So you can see a plethora of senior leadership roles in a competitive industry working with a successful global brand. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Brooke Miller. So Brooke Miller, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming down to Work Club and yeah, talking to our listeners today. So the first question, and I won't make it a tricky one, I told you what it would be, is do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Sure. I often think my story is just not just my story, but it's the story of a few generations before me. But I might start with, you know, what I do now. At the moment, I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BP Australia, and I've been with BP for 17 years. Prior to starting with BP, I worked in the construction industry as a town planner and landscape architect for about 10 years, and I loved that job. But I think about my story as the story of actually a few generations of women before me. I was very, very fortunate and perhaps a little bit unusual. I grew up in 70s Australia, and although women were able to work, there were not a lot of senior women in Australia at that time. But I was very lucky that my mother was very senior in a multinational pharmaceutical company. And even luckier because there had been, there were other women in my family. My great aunt was very senior in a public hospital. Another great aunt was working as in a family business and running that family business. And so during that time, our discussions at home, if you like, were all about work and achievement and contribution and, and all of those sorts of things. And I was really encouraged to think about what was I going to do when I grow, grew up? How was I going to contribute? Um, and I think that was quite an unusual time to be sitting around the table with a lot of women who were in senior, big punchy roles. All my female relatives are quite petite ladies. So there were these petite ladies in these big punchy roles talking about what they'd done and the trips they were going on and the things they were changing in the world and what was I going to do. And I went to a, a all-girls school as well and I was really fortunate to see three pretty incredible women leading that school and leading it with a real strength and a real certainty of who they were, but at the same time a, a very gentle grace around them. So I, I grew up in that area and then decided, well, what was I going to do? And found myself as a landscape architect and, and town planner after attending Melbourne Uni and finding that in that career you are thinking about, you know, how do you influence the world? How do you influence the way people live? How do you design spaces that people will use? 
and will contribute in a positive way to their experience of their place or their town or their city. I absolutely loved those roles and I was really fortunate to work for a guy who was quite visionary and I think could see futures that other people couldn't see at the time and encouraged me to, I guess, learn those skills and threw me quite happily into things that there was no way I was ready for from a professional sense. So big challenges, managing big projects, big clients, and trying to find my way through that in a, in a quite supportive environment. He also encouraged me to study a, a bit further and to do an MBA at Melbourne Business School. And I had thought that that was going to just add to the job that I was doing. And I hadn't really thought about what was going on past then. I'd, I'd done 10 years in construction and I really loved my job. I thought I was you know, really genuinely blessed to be able to work in that environment and help create cities and towns and places. But the MBA opened my eyes well beyond that. And I wasn't really sure what I'd do with it. I finished the MBA and, you know, the world becomes your oyster at that point. And I loved my job, but the company I worked for at that time was about 30 or 40 people. And all companies were about 30 and 40 people at at that time. That, That was a kind of a large town planning and landscape architecture practice. So what to do next was a bit of a conundrum. And so BRW, if you do you remember BRW still? Yes. Yeah, that magazine. That they published an article about industries to watch and people in those industries to watch. And there were 10 industries, and there were things like super, telecommunications, you know, IT, all those things now that I look at, look back at sort of 20 years later and think, well, they definitely were the industries to watch. And they profiled up-and-coming people in those industries. And so I wrote a letter to all of the people profiled because in those days you still did write letters. Yeah, right. And, so, when, so when is this so we can sort of This them? would have been about 19 – oh, but just, but just before 2000, 1999. Yep. And I wrote a letter to all these people saying, I've seen your profile, you look really interesting, you're doing interesting stuff, I've just finished MBA, I don't know what to do next, can, can you help me? And then I rang those people the week after I sent the letter and arranged to see them. And, and every one of them said that they would see me, which wow. I thought was incredible. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I went along to see them. And, and one meeting in particular really had an impact on me. It was with Lisa Gray, who was the CEO of Plum Financial Services at the time. And she had been a town planner early in her career. And I found myself in her office uh, actually waiting for her for our meeting and thinking, gripping onto my one-page CV and thinking, what have I done? I'm really embarrassed that I'm here. What was I thinking, taking up this woman's time to ask a really insignificant question about what should I do with my life? Yeah. And I, I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me at that point. And Lisa came out and um, ushered me into her office and I handed over this one-page CV and said, you know, I, what should I do with my life? And, and I heard her story and she said to me, it doesn't really matter what you do next. You just need to get into a large organisation, a big blue chip organisation, and learn how they make decisions. And so I thought, that's great advice. And as I went on through those other other people in BRW, they all gave me pretty similar advice. So I thought, okay, there's the challenge. I need to get into a big blue chip organisation. What does that look like? And it just so happened that at the time BP was rebranding and they launched the Helios or what some people call the Sunflower logo. Yep. And they talked about the future of energy will be different. The future of energy will be different to the past. And I thought, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds really exciting. That sounds really exciting. It was new energy forms, new ways of using energy. And I saw an ad for the, this new direction of energy 
in the Age newspaper. And on the back of the page of the newspaper, there was an ad for a marketing opportunity BP. And I thought, well, that's a sign. And I applied for that marketing opportunity thinking, I don't really know what that means, but um, I reckon I could probably give it a go. And I joined BP. And since then, I've done a whole range of of different things. I've worked um, at the very start in their network planning area, which decides where retail sites should be built. Uh, And that drew very much on my history in town planning and landscape architecture. I had a really good understanding of that. But since then, I've worked to procure electricity contracts. I have run their bitumen business, which is a national sales and marketing business. Mm -hmm. I've been the regional director of their BP Solar, solar photovoltaic business, which at the time was the largest photovoltaic manufacturer in the Southern Hemisphere. I've run their back of house, so their business service centre, been CFO for the Asia Pacific area, including our businesses in China and our air business, which is global. Now, most recently, I find myself as the Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Wow, that was a very quick <laughs> summary of your 17 years there. So, just a quick question about BP, so British Petroleum, and maybe people don't know the link. I certainly didn't until I was doing the research about the deep rooted history of where they began in Australia. Did you want to maybe just elaborate on that? It's my favourite BP story. BP probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for some small coloured rocks in outback Australia. Uh, There's a guy called William Knox Darcy who was the founder of BP and he's probably the most famous Australian that you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. He was a lawyer and came out from London to live in Australia in a place called Lightning Ridge up in Queensland. And he was advising two local miners um, at Mount Magnet. And they were very lucky in that they struck gold. In fact, they struck an enormous deposit, which would make him one of the most wealthy people in Australia. Wow. And so he'd been in partnership with these two, as well as advising as a lawyer. Uh, So he went back to London and became a bit of a party boy by all accounts, had a lovely life, lots, you know, found himself a wife and a beautiful home and entertained a lot and looked to invest in, in quite a number of different activities. And he started to invest in exploration in what was then Persia, um, oil exploration. Right. It didn't go too well at first. In fact, it didn't go too well for quite a long time and he was rapidly running out of money. Wow, okay. And sent a telegram saying, please stop because I'm running out of money. Yeah. And the exploration head decided to ignore that telegram and give it one or two more goes and on the last go actually struck oil. Wow. And what became BP was was found. So BP came back to Australia, if you like, in, in the early 1900s and so it's had a long, long history with the prosperity of Australia. But I always like to think that BP, that a lot of people know as British Petroleum, really wouldn't exist without some coloured rock from Lightning large, Ridge in Australia. deposits of gold being found. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah, I certainly didn't um, know that link. That, yeah, that's a really nice story. No wonder it's your favourite BP one. So just uh, maybe a couple more questions as we sort of skip through, you know, some of those big roles in BP. Maybe if you could just talk through with the listeners around, you know, how those roles were quite different, although that's been, a, you, you might say, a fairly good tenure at BP, mm-hmm. just maybe the, the variety of different types of roles you've had in there. Sure. One of the benefits of working for a really large company is there's lots of different components to the, that type of company where you can really go into new parts of the business, new, new small businesses within a business and not know anybody. 
not know anything about the business um, and nobody knows you either. So for all intents and purposes, you may as well be changing companies. And I've been really lucky to have those opportunities along the way. I think I said to you, I started probably my biggest step out, first step out role was BP Bitchman. But just before then, I had had, I've been at BP for about four or five years and I had a bit of a career crisis. Right. I had come from a, a you know the construction industry where I knew who I was. I was a town planner and landscape architecture and I, I got that. Mm-hmm. I came to BP and I did a whole range of jobs in that first four years and I realised that I actually didn't know who I was anymore Yeah. and thought, well, what does that mean? You know, what's my profession or what, what contribution am I making? Yep. And at that time I did quite a bit of soul searching because I was, I guess, mourning the loss of that previous profession but not really sure what my new identity was. And as a result, I did quite a lot of work on who am I, what do I want? I did lots of looking in the paper for jobs and to understand, you know, well, who would hire me? Yeah. And, um, and what would I do? And one of the great things about job ads is they tell you what you need to do those jobs. Yeah, true. And it's, so it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit like a gift. You know, it, it tells you, okay, here are the things you need to get. So after looking at a whole lot of job ads, not so much for jobs that I could even do in the end, but just ones that I would have enjoyed and been, you know, I would have loved to do in my career. Yeah. I had this list of things that I wanted. And um, so it's things like P&L accountability. I wanted team leadership. I kind of realized that I enjoyed a B2B environment. And so I could start talking to people about that. And I probably drove people slightly crazy with talking yep. about what I was looking for. And one day the phone rang and it was our HR director saying, there's a job at BP Bitchman mm-hmm. and you'd be great for that job. Why don't you think about it? And I said, oh, I don't really want to work in Bitchman. I don't know anything about asphalt at all. And, you know, that that office is largely, it's in a manufacturing plant that is in a paddock. Right. And it's very blokey, yep. and I probably don't want to do that. Thanks very much for thinking about me. Goodbye. Yeah. And and she said, oh, it's a real pity that you say that because that list you've got of all the things you're looking for, that's what it's got. Right. And so I thought, well, maybe I do want this job. And actually, okay, I really want this job. And so I went to BP Bitchman, and it was a national sales, uh, marketing, and manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a really brilliant group of people who used technology technology to provide high-end bitumen products and had a research and development function, a manufacturing function, and marketing function, and all the things associated with that. And I realized then that going out to a paddock and a manufacturing facility in the middle of the paddock gave me a huge freedom to meet a new group of people and to ask lots of questions because I didn't know anything about bitumen. Yep. Asked lots and lots of questions about, okay, what are we doing? How are we doing it? And I guess help discover what my skill is yeah and my skill i always say i only probably only got one skill and that's about facilitation right is helping lots of different people with lots of different very strong capabilities pull that capability together to move a business forward you know to create if you like a vision for what that vision business could be and then pull towards that vision yeah great just something you mentioned there i just wanted to ask about because it was mentioned also by Another mentor we had on was the P&L accountability. So just what, why did you want that as something as part of your experience portfolio or why was that something you were aspiring to, to experience? It's a great question and at the time I probably didn't even know. I, I wanted it because I'd seen it in so many job ads. You know, so yeah. many big job ads asked for 
demonstrated P&L accountability. So I thought, well, I need to get this thing. Yeah. I'm not really sure what that means. I hadn't run a business at that point. So I, I really, I knew it involved obviously looking at a P&L, but what did, what did, what does accountability mean? And, and what's your actual job when you have that accountability? I wasn't really sure of. But now having done that a few times and certainly in that Bitchman job, you realise that uh, that's kind of the joy of it. That's, that's a bit like your scorecard. Yeah. That's the bit that tells you if you're doing well or not. And is does yeah. your activity make a difference? And the brilliant thing about manufacturing and, and marketing businesses is you can see on one end, you can see about efficiency is if you do things, if you, make, if you, if you change things in the business, does it have an outcome in the manufacturing side? And on the other side, the customer side is do more people like what you're selling mm-hmm. and are they prepared to buy it? And you're getting feedback all the time. Yeah. So that's the brilliant thing about a PNL. I think a lot of people get caught up on the numbers side of it and think it's all about being great with numbers. And actually, I, I think it's actually all about what are the numbers telling you? And are they telling you, do you need to intervene or not intervene? Is, are things going well? Do you need to keep doing what you're doing or do you need to change tack? Yeah. That's what a PNL gives you. And you need that insight. You need that understanding to be able to run a business and to run it well. Yeah. Yeah, great. No, uh, thanks for that. Um, uh, just my, my next question, you also mentioned facilitation and I wanted to ask you about partnerships and maybe there are similar or similar words. So, and BP is known for, um, I mean, the fantastic partnerships they've got. Can you talk through how do you go about, I mean, what's the engagement process like in creating these big partnerships with you know, BP is a huge company and with other huge conglomerates. Do you want to just talk through from your perspective? Yeah, how do you do that? I think I was really lucky in my, the first part of my career in building stuff in the public space, regardless of what you're building, or influencing an outcome um, in the public space. So as a landscape architect and town planner, one of your core skills needs to be facilitation, working with the many stakeholders who might build that particular space all the many stakeholders who might use that particular space so you learn very quickly about how to ask questions and how to listen to not only what people are saying but what are they really meaning and what are they really looking for and what does success look like for them so I was very fortunate to have 10 years in my career really mold that capability if you like and be able to bring that into a large organization and I think there's a bit of magic in the organisation I chose that BP is very good at partnerships and we take that really seriously. But partnerships, it, it is one of those spaces that you need to use listening and speaking in equal amounts. You need to listen to what your partners want, what are their, if you like, hopes, dreams, aspirations and success factors yep. and also how do they like to work. And you also need to be articulating that back in the other direction and finding that, that common ground and building building on that and spend the time to, to do that. I think often that's the time is often the big question about whether a partnership works well or not is have you spent the time right. listening and talking or have you got to doing very quickly? Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Thanks thanks for sharing. And, and another thing with, with BP is the transformational journey or I guess of convenience stores in general. And I think back to when I was growing up and I used to love going down the milk bar and, you know, they don't really exist now. but do you want to maybe talk us through where you see it going and where it's come from and how BP's role's sort of pioneering that? Right. I think it's interesting. If you're a child of the 70s, uh, you might remember the, that milk bar, the corner store journey, and they were often run by uh, small family businesses. 
And then in the you know mid seventies, we started to see trading hours change in Australia and open up the opportunity to trade both on the weekends. Do you remember when the shops used to shut at midday yeah. on Saturdays? The world's changed a lot since then. True. And open up trading opportunities and in particular late night trading opportunities. And you saw the rise of the convenience store. And for, for BP in a very early four range, that was the Food Plus brand mm -hmm. that many people are still familiar with the jingle of Food Plus the store next door. Okay. It's burned into many people's minds. So that I guess that change in the way people lived in the 70s, that's just continuing. You know, if, if I look out the window today, you see multitudes of urban apartments. We see an ageing population. We see people working longer hours. We see people choosing to live their lives in a really, really different way. And that, that has really driven they're marrying later, they're having children later. I don't know about other people, but my personal experience of marrying later and having children later is you have more disposable income for longer. Yes. That's certainly declined since I had children. Right. <laughs> but that means you're making choices about, you know, where do you spend your money? And it means yeah. that people are often out in, in cities and, and urban locations far more and they're spending more money, which means they're eating out in cities, in restaurants, cafes, etc. Um, they're also looking for convenience in a different a different way. If you're working longer hours and you're living close to work, you want to pick up something on your way home. You can either eat on the way or heat up when you get home. And so all those demographic factors are changing Australian cities really significantly. Yeah. And BP has got many, many partnerships with different retailers all over the world where we look to transform convenience retailing. And Australia is really ripe for that change. The quality of offer here, and I include our offer in that, is, you know, has a long way to go. There's a lot of opportunity in that market to really bring a new convenient offer to yep. consumers to, that matches the way people actually live now. Yeah, and um, I was doing some research as well, and I came across the BP app where you can basically not leave your car and pay through the app, which, and that, that's that's a, a problem. Well, an issue I have is what well, you mentioned children as well. So I've got a two-year-old daughter in the child seat, and then it's always the question of, oh, do I get her out and just run in, or do I just lock it up and just secretly go in and pay and run back? And I won't say which one I do more often. But having that ability to not get out just fixes that issue for me in the the social dilemma that I found myself in when I went and filled up the car. And that is, that's um, exactly why we developed that app, exactly why, because okay. people are living their lives differently and, you know, you've got kids in the car, you don't want to leave the yeah. car, but also that the invention of the iPhone and the app has made, right. a, you know, I talk about like a gateway, that, that whole digital opportunity, it's a gateway that we all walk, walk through and our lives change. And yeah. that means that companies like VP, we need to change too and it's this huge opportunity in that space yeah i mean yeah and, and i guess that in the industry you know i'm not loyal to any service stations but i guess you you're, you're kind of missing out on me buying a snickers or a mars bar but i'll probably go to bp more because i don't have to get out and have the social issue of leaving the daughter in or getting her out or so yeah it really is what i what i would need it as a customer I think you've just hit the nail on the head is what do you need as a customer? You know, we do a lot of listening and a lot of talking with customers about what, what do you need? And one of the things that we've learned is what we call a customer journey is very different for lots of different people. Some people, they know they want that Snickers or the, mm. the water or the healthy snack or lunch or yeah. the great coffee or 
any of those things. And some people actually who are on the road a lot or who have children in the car, they just want to get in and get out and bring time back to their day. So so we think about how do we create a brighter moment for that particular customer and there are many, many different types of customers. So yep. zoning right in on how do we help all of those customers, those particular customers. And BPME, the, the fuel payment app, is a it's a great example yep. of a solution that didn't exist before yeah. for, for a real problem in people's lives that have give, it's made your hope yes. feel happier. Made me feel less like a bad father. That's excellent. <laughs> BP helps him be a good dad. I like that. I like <laughs> so, so just the next question is around data and analytics. So, and that may have been the driver for the app, but so this is something you're passionate about. Did it you is. want to maybe talk through data and analytics? It is. I am quite passionate about about data. I never thought I would say that. Yes. You know, it's coming from a design field. I, I never really thought that I'd be fascinated by data, but I am. And that's because it's like having an enormous conversation with, you know, your whole customer base at the same right. time. And they're telling you what are they interested in and what do they like and actually also what don't they like about what yep. you're doing. So I I always spent time as the BP CFO and during that time it, it really became apparent to me that the whole industry of what we call finance is changing because mm-hmm. of this digital revolution. You know, we're going to see we see activities being offshored, we see activities being automated. And so for a finance professional, being able to get to insight. So what is the data telling you? What's the insight? And how can you therefore intervene in the business? That's really the key. Yeah. And and big data and data analytics, that that is, I wish it wasn't called big data or even analytic. I wish it was just called insight right. and intervention. Yeah, that sounds a bit more, you know, you, you feel a bit more natural saying I love insights. Yeah, I love insights too because it tells you what to do. Yeah. It helps you. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a tool, it's an aid. And we've done, a, you know, a huge amount of work on this. We work a lot with the Melbourne Business School Centre for Data Analytics. Who are the guns in this space? You know, these guys, they see data and can, if you like, move it around and help visualise it so it becomes insightful and leads you to intervention much more easily than the old days, if you like, of reams and reams of Excel spreadsheets, which Mm. I'm not sure that anybody was really ever interested in. practising your VLOOKUP skills and... That's that's right. B look up and pivot tables and those yeah. things, which were never really interesting. But now, you know, getting your how are your sales going and how are your sales in a particular category going versus site by site versus other locations on your phone, so that when a sales manager's in a in a store, a retail store, they can have a real conversation with yeah. what's going on in this store today. That's wow. going to change the customer's experience. That, that's that's pretty powerful. And um, it's pretty exciting that we live in a time where those sorts of things are possible. It's exciting, but it's also the pace of the world has changed Mm -hmm. so much that, you know, you need to lean into these spaces to be able to, I I guess, keep up, but also to win. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned Melbourne Business School. So how do you think, did that help you in your journey? Absolutely. Melbourne Business School changed my life completely, actually. It, It helped me change careers. It, it helped me move from a landscape architect and town planner, a, a career I loved, into another completely different career that I have loved that's given me multiple careers across multiple industries, bitumen, solar, finance, sales and marketing, yeah. and without the skills and frameworks and I think the thought processes that MBS teaches, oh, I, there's no way I could have done yeah. that. It gave me a network of people of friends and colleagues and 
people who will have, you know, loud, robust, challenging, difficult conversations, um, you know, both to, in terms of feedback and in input for me, but also if I've got a, a business challenge, I've got a, a huge group of people that I can ask for help from or what's their input or their insight. So, you know, and then some other things, just like basic skills. I, I couldn't read a P&L before I went to Melbourne Business School. Yeah. I, I'd never been exposed to that and I had no skill set at all in that space. But, you know, I was able to do those subjects and look at the world in a, a different way because it, it teaches you, one, a way of thinking, but two, content that is incredibly helpful to bring that toolkit that you bring, I think, or widen that toolkit. Oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, my next question is just around advice. Would you have any advice for people following a similar path or maybe they're asking the questions that you're asking the BRW people, what should I do? Or, yeah, is there any advice you'd give your former self? I would say if you are wanting to have a conversation with somebody and ask for advice, go and do it today. Right. It can be, I remember sitting and waiting for Lisa Gray to come and get me and I felt horrified and embarrassed that I was wasting someone's time, but ask for help, ask yeah. people for input because they're generous and giving and insightful. So ask for help, ask for help, ask for help. I'd also say back yourself. You, you really don't know what you can do or what you can turn your mind to until you're there. And then being open and asking questions about how do these things work and talking to a lot of people without being afraid of looking silly or asking the dumb question you know, being open to new experiences and not being the expert in the room is is a real advantage. And then something that somebody said to me very early on was just back yourself, you know. Yeah. Give it a go. Yeah. Find out what's the worst that can happen. Yeah, I've heard that advice a few times in, in these um, interviews as well. Definitely, yeah, just give it a go. Back yourself and you'll be surprised. Um, the next question is just advice. We just did advice. Next question is just on habits. So is there any habits that you, you'd like to share that you think have helped you in your success? I think a lot of people have said they get up early and I don't yes. do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unfortunately, but I think read a lot. Right. And it doesn't matter what you read almost. You know, read the newspaper, read blogs on the net, you know, make sure you're keeping up with uh, things like the Mary Meeker report that looks into what are the digital trends in future. Read widely, read broadly. It gives you input to think about your own job. And it, yeah. often it doesn't even matter if what you're reading is not related to your job, but it's about extending the input that you've got access to to help you think about the challenges you've got in, in your job. Uh, the newspaper is always a terrific, uh, or online news sites, uh, terrific, terrifically helpful in terms of seeing other people's experience. I would say the best experience you've got is a mistake that someone else has made for you and you can read about it and learn about it and, and I guess, internalise it so you don't have to make the same mistake yourself. Yeah, fantastic. And and how are you keeping up with your reading? Do you religiously read? Is there a, a daily practice that you do to block that in or how are you making yeah. the time? I find it pervasive, actually, that um, if I've got five minutes spare, I will be checking, you know, news websites, etc. Um, and I've got a few favourite things that I go to, like Mary Meeker report yep. about, you know, what's going on in um, technology to make sure. So I, I bookmark a lot, and I go back to to those same sources to make sure it's there. But I don't set aside an hour a day. 
I use all that incidental time. Yeah. So I'm getting through a lot. Yeah. Also, I'm, I tend not to, if I'm reading a book, I tend not to read from start to finish. If it's a content book rather than, you know, a book yeah. for pleasure, I'll just dive in and dive out and be quite relaxed about that. I think if you treat reading a book, I've got to start from the start to the finish, particularly if it's things like technological change. Yeah. You may never actually finish it's that book. Dry, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> dive in, dive out, grab the useful stuff and move on. Yeah, right. Fantastic. Oh, thank you for that. And just a quote for our listeners if you wanted to share one. I think um, one of my very first bosses used to use this quote a lot and it's often often in the back of my mind and it's by Emerson and it says that what lies behind you and what lies before you are small matters compared to what lies within you. And I think that's really true. I think it, that is that is the heart of think about who you are, what you stand for, and then back yourself. Thank you very much. And I can see you've brought your book in today. Did you want to talk the listeners through why this one's your the must-read that you recommend? Excellent. I brought in Strength Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath, and I love this book. It is a book that helps you. It's a little bit like a Myers-Briggs assessment. It helps you do an online assessment to look at what are your strengths. Lots of these types of assessments help you look at what are your strengths and also what are the things you're not so great at. Strength finder, the tips in the title, it only looks at your strengths. Okay. And it says here's the things that you really, you're really great at. And I think that the things you're great at are usually where you find joy, which is what gives you the ability to go a long way in your career. You know, they're the things, the joy gives you sustenance, if you like. It helps you, you know, get through the difficult things and enjoy what you're doing every day. So Strength Finder tells you, you go online, you do an online test. It tells you what your top five strengths are. I do Strength Finder every year and I find your strengths change from year to year. And one, it's a bit of a kick in the arm or a a shot in the arm that you feel like, oh, I'm I'm good at stuff. I'm good at some things. And, you know, Strength Finder tells me so. But it's a good reminder of, okay, well, how am I using those strengths? Am I, am I aware of them yep. or am I not using them at all? And if not, why not? Am I in the right job? Yep. Am I using, you know, am I using people around me to bring other skills in? Am I using my strengths to do that or not? And, you know, are there any other strengths that I'd kind of like to develop as well or, or need to get to that next next yep. job or next role or next opportunity? So you do this religiously each year? That I do every year. Wow, okay. I'll definitely have to uh, give that a go. And I'll put, I'll put links to that up on the, on the Mentalist website. So thank you very much for coming in today and making the time and sneaking away from work to visit us here. Thanks. No, my pleasure. Anytime, literally. But, yeah, just before you go, if people are resonating with what you're saying and they want to find out more about you or contact you directly, how do they go about that? I am on LinkedIn, so reach out through LinkedIn. Yeah, okay, and I'll, I'll link to that on the website also. So thank you once again, and for those listening in, tune in again next week for another great show. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to take just a few seconds to leave a rating and comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.